Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You. From HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Today we are playing for you an interview with Otta Bernier, who is the CEO of Learn to Code website Skill Crush. And it's pretty awesome, as I can attest, because I actually took classes from the lovely Otta and Skill Crush. And we wanted to talk to her a little bit about coding because of the issue of women in technology and more in general, women in STEM fields. We did a four part series. You might have heard of it on women in STEM, science, technology, engineering and mathematics. And we wanted to dig a little bit more into the T of that series. That's right, because in that episode focusing on women and technology, we talked about in general how, for instance, women earn only 18% of the computer and information science degrees, and we make up a minority of the computing professions. And it's people like Otto, though, who are these coding evangelists who are not only educating, but also energizing women and girls to get excited about coding because of all of the potential professional benefits that come with it. Because, folks, if you are interested in a growth industry sector, coding is absolutely that. And as we mentioned in that technology podcast, the interesting thing is in the history of computing and technology, Programming was originally considered women's work because they thought that it was at first like a low level clerical job, hence good for women. But (laughs) it was gradually masculinized. And now there is this massive need to get more women and also younger girls engaged with coding because of how many coders and programmers and developers we will need as the Internet becomes even more a part of our mobile lives. Right, because the numbers are taking such a dive in terms of women in these fields. In 1990 and 1991, 29% of all undergraduate computer and information science bachelor's degrees went to women. Now, according to the Department of Labor, only 18% do. 
And so as the basically as the coding industry, as uh, computer and information science blows up and expands, there's going to be all of these jobs that need to be filled. But with the number of women in this field declining, that's going to leave a whole lot of empty seats, won't it? Yeah, exactly. And um, there are right now only 23 percent of computer programmers in the United States who are women, 22.1 percent who are software developers and 37 percent of whom are web developers. So obviously there is this massive gender gap in computing and in coding in particular, which is why people like Otto Bernier and services like Skill Crush are so crucial And Caroline has had personal experience with Skill Crush's services, which is actually how we got in touch with Ada to begin with. Right. Yeah. I decided that I needed a life skill. Another one. Why not? Uh, Because I couldn't learn to juggle. So I decided to try to learn to build a website. And I found Skill Crush and not to gush, but Ada herself is wonderful. And the Skill Crush website itself is very intuitive, very helpful. Their program is is pretty darn great. They kind of gear themselves towards young professional women or or really professional women of any age who feel like they just don't have the time to learn. Yeah. And so we wanted to talk to Ada not just about coding and skill crush, but also get her perspective on women in technology, why it's so crucial that more women get involved with it. And she also has insight into being a digital entrepreneur as well. So we had lots to talk to Ada about, and we really appreciate her taking the time to chat with us. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. 
Yeah, so here is our chat with Otto. We hope you enjoy. If you could just tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Otto Bernier, and I am the founder and CEO of Skill Crush, which is an online learning platform. Awesome. Well, Ada, could you tell us a little bit about your background, both a little bit personally and what led you into the tech field? My first foray into technology really came when I was working on an online magazine and I had gotten a job as the photo editor, mostly because I had knew how to use Photoshop, um, which I knew from being a digital photography major in college. And um, my job, it sounds fancy, but it was really just to crop images and upload them into the content management system for the online magazine all day long. And it was super boring. And luckily, I um, got really good at it. So I was able to do it in like a third of the time that I had to do it in, um, which left me a lot of time to sort of look around and, and see what everyone else was doing at this magazine. And I was really lucky that they had stuck me, they just sort of by chance put me in the production department instead of the editorial department. And basically what was happening was that, you know, you're at this online magazine and there's this thing that like drives everything. And it's like this like engine that like keeps the lights on. Um, and it publishes to the web every day. And I was just, I became fascinated with like what that was, like, what did it look like? Like what, like, how is it that we were able to like produce this magazine? Like if we had been a print magazine, like you would have like seen a big printing press and it would have been like shooting out papers, but you don't have that when it's online. And, you know, and I would look at these guys who were sort of in the corner and they were all like, you know, furiously typing away, but I didn't know what they were typing or what it looked like. Or, you know, it's like, it's like, where was it? Like, where was this thing that was like, you know, this engine. And I just became fascinated. It was, and I think that that sort of fascination is like part of what is so fun about technology, but it's also what's really, what makes it really challenging. And I think really um, off-putting to a lot of people because it's unlike like an engine where you can sort of pop the hood and you can see the car engine. When it comes to code and technology, you can't really see anything. Like it's all, it all sort of you know, compiles down into like electronical signals and it's not something that we can visualize and touch and feel and sort of assemble and understand how the pieces come together. So I think that's that, you know, that was sort of the, like where I was really fascinated because I was like, where, where is this code? Like, what is code? What does it look like? Where does it exist? Um, where do I find it? How do you see it? How do you edit it? Like, how do you know which part to edit? Like, it was just this like huge mystery to me that I didn't understand. Um, and so I basically started to ask all those questions of, you know, where is it? What does it look like? Like, how do I see it? How do I edit it? And, um, you know, I was really lucky that one of my um, managers basically took pity on me and started answering all my questions and started showing me code um, and then started eventually letting me actually, like, you know, write a little bit of myself. And that was really my first introduction into the technology industry. So how long did it take you to go from that point of, just curiosity and starting to understand what code is to being proficient at writing it. So there's definitely, um, there's sort of many different layers along the continuum of, you know, start like the first time I ever saw code to like being quote unquote proficient. And one of the things that I think that a lot of people who haven't started to learn technology skills really like, they think that it's um, going to take a really long time to get, to the point where they have like knowledge that's good enough to be practical and useful to them. So honestly, like probably within like, you know, 
I mean, I guess with like from when I started to learn how to write code at all to when I started putting that that those learnings into practice was like really only a couple of days. And at that point, I couldn't have built a website from scratch, but I could edit. And, um, you know, the magazine published all these email newsletters. And so what I was doing was sort of editing the content in the email newsletters um, and really getting paid to learn. And it was immediately useful. Like, I just like the tiniest little bit of knowledge was super useful in terms of my understanding. Like, I remember um, I had this manager who kept yelling at me because I kept naming the, the image files incorrectly. And then finally, and she kept telling me this, and I kept forgetting, and I kept, you know, naming them incorrectly again, and she kept getting mad at me. And finally, one day, she explained to me that the reason was, was because the code had the image file names written very specifically, and so if I didn't write them in the same exact way, it wouldn't find the image. And so then she was having to go back and rename all my image files. And it was such a revelation to me, because I was like, oh, now I get it. Like, you've given me a reason for why this is useful. And I feel like that's that is the kind of thing that kept happening. It was like all of a sudden I started to understand these rules. Like I started to get why you had to name things in a certain way and why you had to organize them in a certain way because I started to understand what how things were organized on the inside and why it really mattered those decisions. And so even the, like the tiniest little bit of knowledge was super useful like from day one. And then um, when I started to actually learn how to build websites from scratch, um, it probably took like a couple of weeks to where it was really useful information. Um, you kind of have to play around with it, I think, for a while and get your, wrap your head around it. But um, honestly, probably within a month, I like had built a website and was hawking my services to other people, not for a lot of money, granted. But um, one thing I tell my students over and over again is that, um, you know, like the number, like the goal number one through like 99 is get it to work. And everything else after that is just the cherry on top. A month is so fast, too. Yeah. That is a lot faster than I thought you were going to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, like, it's not like I was, like, some coding, like, wonderkin within a month, but I had enough uh, knowledge to take advantage of, to be able to actually do something that was useful and that I could show for myself. Well, so at what point did you go from, you know, building a website and working at this magazine to creating the startups, plural, that you created? So, um... I worked at the online magazine, and then I worked at a design agency, and then I was unemployed for a while. So it took probably, like, from the time when I first started to understand all this technology stuff um, at the online magazine to when I actually started the company, it was about two years, the first company. And the first company was the design consultancy. So we basically designed and built websites, mostly for news organizations. Um, so that took about two years. And that was sort of, I, that came on the, the heels of sort of about a year and a half of freelance work for me. So I had been working for clients freelance on the side um, while I had a full-time job. And then after about a year, a year and a half of that, I decided to go full-time. And, you know, and it wasn't, at the time, like, I didn't really think that I was starting a company. I just thought I was kind of going to expand my freelance career. Um, and it largely just came out of a lack of other options, <laughs> which is great. Like I, you know, like I, I, so much of my career has been, um, just a reaction to like what's been going on in the economy and sort of the lack of really interesting and exciting opportunities. So, um, you know, I've created my own opportunities and what's really amazing is that because I had these technical skills, I've really been able to do that successfully. I think one of the coolest things too about your career path is how you're now 
taking what you learned and kind of stumbled on and are now empowering other women in particular with it. And so if you could just talk a little bit about that idea for Skill Crush and why make it focused on women in particular. Sure. So, I mean, uh, let me first just talk about like what the inspiration for Skill Crush was. I had a really good conversation with a friend of mine about this actually just yesterday, which I will tell you about, which is I was sort of describing to her like why I think it's so important that people learn digital and technical skills and what you have to gain from it. And we were sort of laughing because it was, it was kind of like, I think it's kind of this opportunity that everyone has at this moment right now to kind of cut the line. Like we're in this moment where like all, like everything is in a state of enormous flux because um, things are changing so rapidly and it's having such an enormous impact on like every industry. And like for me, like I really saw this play out in the media industry, but it's now starting to play out in education and healthcare and all of these different fields. And what I saw, you know, in 2008 was that, if I was willing to like think about media from a technical perspective, I really got to cut the line. Like I got to go from being, you know, this like little peon um, who was like begging some editor to publish me to, um, you know, just like opportunities, just like doors were flying open. Like all of a sudden I was working for ProPublica and the New York Times, the Huffington Post and building them web applications. Um, and that was, that really happened in the matter of just like a year, year and a half. And it was entirely just because there was, there's such an enormous need for people who are technically capable in these fields. And there's such a lack of um, qualified candidates. And the thing is though, this isn't an issue of like, you can cut the line and cut in front of a bunch of people. Like there is no lack of opportunity. Like it's like everyone can cut the line. Like everyone can go from kind of like, you know, slowly climbing some corporate ladder to um, really like getting, you know, really exciting, more senior positions where they get a lot of power just because, um, it's just because it's just, it's like the wild west and nobody really understands what's going on. So anyone who does understand what's going on has such an advantage. Um, and the thing that I was seeing, you know, in these companies was that the people who seem to sort of see that and see the opportunity and really be taking advantage of it were disproportionately men. And it's not that women aren't really insightful and can't see that kind of thing, but for whatever combination of reasons, I think that women have been taught that technology and science and math and all those fields are, um, you know, difficult and scary and boring and non-creative and, um, you know, like involved, like I think with computer science, like I think that women, a lot of us women have internalized that computer science means like, you know, robots and sitting in a basement by yourself, being smelly, um, not talking to anyone for days at a time, like, you know, typing ones and zeros, which is not, which, you know, may have been what it looked like at one point in time, but at this point in time, when it, when, when technology and the digital space is like, is growing so rapidly and there's so much happening, like that isn't at all the case. Like it's incredibly creative. It's incredibly forward thinking. Um, it's about thinking about really constructively and interesting, you know, world problems and figuring out how to solve them with technology. Um, it's really about making the world a better place. It's about, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's like everything one would normally hope for in like an exciting growing, um, career. And, um, unfortunately I think women are just held back by this kind of cultural myth that we have internalized. And I just thought that was, 
I just was watching it play out in these companies and it was really unfortunate. And the truth is, is that women still make less than men on average. Um, what's exciting is that that gap is much, much smaller in technology. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like if women don't take advantage of this opportunity now and sort of get in on the ground floor, like we have a lot to lose. And so that's kind of where my mission for Skill Crush comes from. Like it's it's not that Skill Crush is exclusively for women, but um, I just sort of looked at the competitive landscape and saw that there were quite a few sites who were, you know, sort of teaching these skills and talking about this opportunity to people, but their audiences were overwhelmingly male. And I just felt that you know someone has to sort of sing this siren song to the ladies, and so that is my personal goal. I like that. The siren song of, of lady coders. <laughs> yeah. It's not even, you know, it's about being a coder, but it's also not necessarily about being a coder, right? It's just about understanding what this all looks like. Like what is this engine? What does it look like? It doesn't mean you literally have to be disassembling it and putting it back together. Although I think that you should have enough skills that should you end up, you know, like stranded on the side of a road at 2 a.m. on the internet highway, um, that you can, if you have to, but, um, it's really just about like understanding how this all comes together from like a, like a really like fundamental perspective and, and not like a conceptual perspective. Like it's not about, you know, a website quote unquote, it's about like, okay, a server is like, you know, a computer that sits in this place and this is how it connects. And these are the programming languages that use it. And I know, you know, how to hire someone to write that programming language. And I know how to identify a bug if there is a bug and all of that. Well, um, in our Women in STEM series, you know, we talked about startups versus more established, older corporate companies and how those environments can kind of depend on the people who work there. And one of the things that we touched on was the difference in how welcoming or not welcoming those environments can be for women. And so, you know, as, as a woman who jumped in there into the startup universe, what do you think of, you know, how it is out there for women in that? in that arena? Yeah. So this is a really interesting question because I think that, um, the startup scene has like a reputation of being very sort of fratty and, you know, beer pong and, you know, video games and late nights and all of that. And that is absolutely part of it. But, uh, what the benefit of the startup scene is that it's being created as we speak. And so there's a lot more opportunity to sort of, you know, come in with a fresh perspective and really implement that. And so what's interesting is that, um, although, you know, most companies are started, most sort of high growth tech companies are started by men and most VC funding goes to men. And there's a lot of sort of inequalities in that space. Um, you know, the place where women really do the worst is actually on technical teams in large corporations. Um, and that's actually where you see the worst gender ratios. And I think that has to do with the fact that those are sort of very um, old school places that have a very old school mentality that is very not friendly to women and isn't able to change quickly. But what's great about startups is that, yes, there are the startups where it is a very masculine culture, but there are also startups that are working really hard to attract women to their companies. And there's just in general, like, I think it's like, you know, in this moment of creation, you have a lot more opportunity to create sort of the new reality or what you want to see. Um, so I think that, you know, I think that although, like I said, like there are sort of weird gender dynamics that play out in the startup scene, like the benefit you have if you create your own company is that you get to make it whatever you want it to be. So um, 
in my experience, like, you know, with my own, like, I think about like the clients I've worked with, like, I just have had so much freedom and flexibility. So if I didn't like a client, you fire them. <laughs> that was like a great moment for us when we fired our first client. Um, it was weird and counterintuitive, but it's fantastic. You know, you can make those sorts of choices that like, you know, if you're working at a big company, like you can't decide to fire the client because they're sexually harassing you, for example, like that's not an option for you. Um, or if it is an option, you know, you have to go through like a hundred layers of bureaucracy to accomplish something like that. But in a startup, you don't, you can make the decision. So I think that there is a lot of reason for women, um, for like the startup scene to be a really, really friendly place for women. And I think it's just about women sort of entering it en masse and making sure that that happens. Um, well, I know that you were part of a PBS video talking about women in tech, and I want to crib one of the questions that they asked you because it's a fantastic question. Um, and they wanted to know how you thought that the world would change with more women in technology, if I'm getting that correct. So, uh, so how would the world change? Yeah, I love this question. Um, so I think like one of the problems I see in the technology industry right now, and this is something that I, I hope to combat with Skill Crush, is that there is an over fetishization of technical skills and sort of technology for the sake of technology. And so I think there's, um, you know, there is a little bit of the cult of the developer, you know, like the Ruby Ninja and the Rockstar and like all this kind of like, oh, they're so good at code. Um, and you have people sort of spending all this time and energy and money, um, you know, perfecting these technological feats, but that are effectively solving problems that nobody really has, right? So yes, like the code is really beautifully written and it runs really fast, but like, you know, who needs another photo sharing app or what have you? And so I think there's a lot of energy that and talent that's sort of being wasted, um, being applied to something that isn't really worthwhile. And um, I don't think that there are, I wouldn't want to say that like men are incapable of understanding like what is a worthwhile pursuit <laughs> or a worthwhile use of their time or, or anything like that. But I think that women in general tend to have a slightly better sense of like, what are real problems that really need solving and what are problems that are kind of nice to have. And I think that in general, you know, what happens when you have an industry where, um, you know, one group really dominates is that you just have kind of like, you have group think, right? And you have like blind spots that they can't help but have. And so one of the opportunities with, um, you know, women coming into tech is that they can really start to expand the conversation and start to think about, um, you know, issues that maybe the people who are currently in the tech community just like aren't even aware of that can be solved with technological solutions. And really, um, I think, you know, my friend says like, it's like, let's solve bigger problems. And I think that one of the great things that we will see as this industry diversifies is that I think that the, um, you know, the impact it will have will be much, much greater. And I think that it'll start to solve a much more diverse set of problems. And I think it will really, um, you know, I think it, I really do believe that it can like really make the world a better place. And, um, and I think that women will play a big role in that. We were wondering how your feminist perspective, how do you think feminism and gender influence your professional work in particular? So I think, I mean, feminism, it's like my religion, <laughs> right? Like I think feminism affects everything I do. Um, in terms of how it obviously, you know, feminism has obviously played a huge role in my thinking about scale crash and sort of identifying the inequalities that are at play in the technology industry and then thinking constructively about ways to solve them. You know, for me, like, I know that as a teenager, the things that made such a big difference in my life and sort of like 
you know, made me so happy, made me feel like there was hope in the world, um, were I would, you know, were a lot of sort of the interesting and, and sort of out there work by different feminists that came before me. And a really good example of this is girl.com, which was a, you know, supposed to be like an online web portal for teenage girls. And, um, I actually didn't ever, or I didn't see the web page until much later, but they published a book called deal with it. And it's just like the most hilarious take on like, you know, puberty and your period and your boobs and sex that like has ever been created. And it's this amazing book that has all these totally ridiculous illustrations in it um, that are like super explicit and like, like kind of X-rated, but like, you know, in like the way that is appropriate for, um, you know, an educational, quote unquote, educational book. And it just was like, you know, my 13 year old self was like, oh, thank God someone understands me. Cause like, I just want to know what all this stuff is, but I want it to be sort of, you know, given to me in, in funny, crazy colors and like wacky way. Like you don't want to, you don't want to look at those like clinical, like, you know, this is how sex happens books. Um, and it was just so inspiring, and I feel like it's basically inspired everything I've done since. And um, and that's including Skill Crash. So I just think that, you know, like, what I'm trying to do is say, like, I think that there is, like, it's like there's these technology skills, and then there's, like, lots of cool things happening in the world, and there aren't enough people who are sort of, you know, building the bridge between the two that are explaining, like, here's how you can take these technology concepts and skills and apply them to like real world problems that are really um, useful and exciting and that will, you will care about in your life. And um, I know that that doesn't sound like a feminist pursuit, but for me, it's all about thinking like, here's this group of women who I know who are really intelligent and smart and doing these really exciting things, but they're not taking advantage of these skills that are available to them that really have the ability to like be like rocket fuel, you know, Mm -hmm. to their careers and their work. And so for me, it's all about thinking like, how do I bridge that gap in a way that's going to speak to that audience specifically? Because that is an audience that I'm really excited about, you know, empowering these skills. Um, And that is entirely a a feminist pursuit from my perspective. And I also just believe in, you know, laughing. So that's where the comedy comes in. And I try to, I try to make it funny. I don't know if it actually is, but. No, I think there's such an intersection though of feminism today and technology because over and over and over again with the podcast, it circles back to themes of, either activist communities that spark up online, like, uh, you know, formerly, um, like LGBTQ communities that have like found each other online, all of these initiatives for girls and women happening online. This is how we're talking to each other. This is how we're learning that, Oh, other people are experiencing these kinds of things as well. And I think it's so powerful and it's so much fueled by technology, you know, and it just, I mean, and I think it's amazing about technology is it just opens up, a world. I mean, it just, it, like, okay, so one of the things that I remember reading in Bitch Magazine, there was, like, it was, like, chat rooms for, like, paraplegic, like, lesbian feminists. And I was like, thank God they have a place, finally, you know? Like, only the internet can make that possible. Um, but, you know, this, I mean, I, we worked for years with a guy who um, was paralyzed from the neck down and was our developer. And it's just, it's just amazing to see what the internet is able to enable people to do. So people who previously would have had such a difficult time being employed and sort of being able to like have their voice be heard can participate in these conversations. And you're right. Like you can connect with people from, I mean, like, I, like with Skillcrush, we connect with like, you know, crazy zany coding feminists in Australia. And like, how awesome is that? Like, I don't, you know, so it just, it really it does. It, it just expands your ability to communicate and, and commune with people um, mm-hmm. in this really incredible way. 
It was interesting to see because, um, as Ada knows, I took uh, the Skill Crush class. And it was interesting to see as a student, like the different types of women who were communicating with one another, you know, they were taking coding classes for all different reasons. They were all different ages. They were from all over the place. And it was actually a really welcoming, it was a really welcoming and funny and lighthearted environment to learn coding. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that like, there's just, there's no reason why it has to be like dark and not friendly, right? But unfortunately, like a lot of the community and the stuff that's been built has been that. And I think that people take, like people sort of make the leap that that is because it is that way. Like that technology sort of like inherently is, you know, dark and scary and, and technical or whatever. But I don't think so. I think that just has to do with the personality of the, the group of people who sort of were the first adopters and that, and their personality has been kind of like imprinted on technology writ large. And I think that, um, that is not sustainable. It's not, it's not functional mm-hmm. as technology becomes a bigger and bigger industry and it becomes more and more important. And so, you know, like uh, the way I think about skill crash is that like this stuff has to go mainstream someday. Like it's really good. Like for, in order for the American economy, not to like crumble and like fall off into like, you know, half into the Pacific and half into the Atlantic. Um, it's going to have, like, people are going to have to understand what the hell is going on and they're not going to be able to access the current materials to, to learn that information. So, you know, so we need sort of this like big upswelling of people who are able to kind of translate things into a more friendly, inviting, fun kind of material that people can learn from. Well, I do know, though, that we have a lot of younger listeners as well. And girls learning how to code is something that comes up, obviously, a lot in this conversation about women in STEM. So if we do have middle school, high school girls who are listening I mean, is Skill Crush something that they could hop onto as well and start learning? I mean, is or is there sort of a age minimum? There's, I think, you know, legally it has to be like 13 or you have to have a parent's permission. So let me say that. Um, no, I don't think that there is an age minimum or an age maximum. I mean, with, uh, we've had um, people as young as 12 with her mother's permission and as old as 66, as far as I know. They may have been even older, but they didn't tell me. Um I do really believe that Skill Crush can have a really broad appeal. Um, you know, I think that there are also, like, there's tons and tons of resources. There's tons of stuff, like, that is more geared towards kids. So, um, you know, sort of, there's this programming language called Scratch that's very visual that is geared towards kids. Um, there's Daisy the Dinosaur, which is an iPad app that some friends of mine make that's really amazing. That's for an even younger group of kids. Um I would say, like, the one piece of advice I'd like to give younger women who are listening um, is that you have to remember when it comes to coding that it doesn't matter how long it takes you or how difficult you find it. It's just about if you're able to do it. Like, if you're able to build a website, it doesn't matter if it takes you a week or a month or a year. Um, the only thing that matters is that you're able to do it. So it's really important not to get discouraged and not to feel like because it's taking you longer than someone else that you're bad at it or that you're not meant for this, um, none of those things actually matter. And um, it's really all just about finding, you know, how it fits into your life and how you can have fun with it and and figuring it out. Yeah, well, um, thank you again for coming on. Is there any, any parting words that you would give to listeners of all ages about either women in tech or coding skill crush, anything like that? Any, any final myth-busting about women in technology? 
Um, you know, in terms of myth busting, like the number one concern I hear from people, or the, the sort of the top level concerns I always hear from people, is that they think they're too old, too busy, or too I don't know, too stupid is the right way to put it. But they sort of like don't think that they have the technical chops to do it. Um, and the, you know, the first thing is that coding is not mathematical, so people have this idea that there's a lot of math involved. So, um, Caroline, you tell us, like, was there a lot of math involved with Skill Crush? No, not that I was aware of. <laughs> You're hiding it from you. No. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot of math involved. If it is, it's it's simple sort of arithmetic and, you know, long division, things like that. But the computer does it all for you. You right. just need to be able to set up the um, the equations. Um, there is no age limit. So we have had women as old as 66, and they have done great in the program. Um, and in terms of being too busy, the thing is, is that, I, you know, you very well may be a very busy person, and I can't really speak to that. But um, even just a little bit of knowledge can make such a big difference. So I really encourage you to take whatever time you have and learn what you can in that time. And then otherwise, just like to like repeat, like, like the importance of the web and the internet is only going to grow. Like it's not, this is like, you know, there's no risk to you, you know, sort of like, you know, putting a lot of time and resources into this and for it to not pay off. Like it's going to pay off hugely. And, um, the opportunity, you know, if you look at, so we put out this infographic that was about the shortfall in, um, it's basically like the number of open positions that they project. Um, yes, by the year 2020, they project that there's going to be over a million open jobs in the technology fields. And they, um, project that there will only be about 300,000 people with computer science degrees to fill those jobs. So that means that there's a shortfall of about, you know, 750,000 positions that are going to be open that won't have anyone who's sort of quote unquote traditionally qualified to fill those those positions and what um what that means is that there's a huge opportunity for people to fill those positions um and by and large you know people in the technology fields make around double the national average for salaries so this is it's more money um technology companies are most likely to allow people to work remotely and have flexible work schedules um there's a huge freelance market for people who have technology skills, which means you have a lot more um, autonomy and flexibility through your career. Like I just, there's so much opportunity. There's so much money. There's so much freedom. There's so much creativity. There's so much flexibility available in this market. And if you want to be more employable, if you want to make more money, if you want to have more control over your career, like this is really the industry to get into. And um, these skills are totally learnable. And hey, you've got what, seven six or seven years until 2020 so like should be enough time yeah i can build a website or two in six years yeah we can be coding podcasters perfect code as we podcast yeah yeah that'll that'll really get us in the door i'm sure um well this has been great Ada. thanks so much yeah thank you for talking to us can you um let people know where they can find out more about you about skill crush hop on over to our website it's skillcrush.com um, S-K-I-L-C-R-U-S-H. Um, you know, sign up, make sure to sign up for our 10-day email boot camp. It's sort of our, you know, 10-day quick, like, do it in five minutes a day, learn all the important technical terms that you that you need to know so that you understand what you're choosing between. And it's a great, um, I think, primer and sort of introduction to everything that is the web. Great. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. So, again, we want to thank... 
Ada Bernier, founder and CEO of Skill Crush. So much for taking the time to talk with us about her journey into coding. For me, it's inspirational to hear about entrepreneurial women like her who are really forging the way for other women helping us all out. Yeah, I mean, I think she's a great example of somebody who really, not to sound cheesy, but really took the initiative. You know, she was, her career path was going in one direction. She was seeing that the economy was, you know, crumbling. And she really just took the reins of her own future and her own career and made it into what she wanted it to be. Yeah, and we should also mention that Skill Crush is part of an entire community of coding organizations like Girls Who Code, WomenCode.org, and Black Girls Code that are specifically designed to train up female coders. So it's really neat to see how other women like Ada are reaching out to girls and women to help fill that technology gender gap. And I hope that we have some coders and programmers and web developers listening right now because we'd love to hear from you as well. Momstuffatdiscovery.com is where you can send your letters if you have any insight. Have you ever been a female coder on a team? What was it like? Were you, were you the lone woman? They're often anecdotes about that. But with the work that Ada and other people are doing, the lone female coder will hopefully be an anecdote of a bygone tech era. So write to us, momstuffdiscovery.com. You can tweet us at momstuffpodcast and find us on Facebook and leave us a message there. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. And now back to our letters. So we've got a couple of letters here to share from our episode on child prodigies. And we have a letter here from Megan. She writes, hi, ladies. I loved your episode on child prodigies, and I had so much to say about it. 
I'm 15, a high school sophomore, and while I wasn't a child prodigy, I grew up in the enrichment and gifted programs my school offered. You mentioned the stress that comes with the gifted label, and I certainly can attest to that. There is a certain expectation that comes with being in those programs. For example, students in my school had to have at least an 85 average, and it can be very overwhelming. There's also the expectation that you should be the smartest student, no matter what class you are in, and to help the other students comprehend the subject. Looking back, it seems pretty damaging to make a 12-year-old feel dumb for not pushing themselves to understand material two or three grade levels above them. However, most of my peers, including myself, were bored with regular classes and were thankful for the challenge that the gifted programs presented. So thanks for that insight, Megan, and good luck making those grades. That is a lot to put on a younger person, but it sounds like you're doing great. Okay, I have a letter here from Amanda. She says, I'm sorry to say I was no prodigy, but with an average IQ of 141, I qualified as genius and was immediately sequestered off into gifted classes for grades 3 through 12. Just the year before, in my second grade class, my teacher told my mom she thought I needed to be in special ed because I never talked and didn't do my classwork. Surprise, I was bored. Now that I'm a mom, I will admit that I do expect more from my children than those of others, but it's also very tricky because I know what pitfalls there are and want to help them avoid them. For example, I was tucked away in gifted classes so long that when I finally took a JROTC class my freshman year of high school, I blurted out, you don't know how to spell that? My little brother just learned that in fourth grade when my squad leader asked how to spell something. Needless to say, I had never learned how to be patient and explain things to people. Because of this, I've decided to not let my first grader skip a grade just yet, even though she easily could, because I want her to be able to learn the social skills of being in a classroom and having to be around people of varying learning styles and speeds. Instead, I tutor her at home and integrate learning into everything we do. She still gets to be challenged, learning about the different cells of the body, while her class is still learning the difference between living and non-living objects, like a scooter versus a lion. Yes, that really was a question they were asked. Anyway, I hope this was at least a little insightful. Keep up the good work. You're my favorite of all the How Stuff Works podcasts, and I love your new videos. So thank you, Amanda. We appreciate your sharing your story, and thanks for listening. And thanks to everybody who's tuned in, written in. MomStuffDiscovery.com is where you can send us letters. You can also follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. We're on Tumblr as well at StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. You can also find us on Facebook, of course. Please like us while you're at it. And you can also head over and like our videos. They're at YouTube.com slash StuffMomNeverToldYou. And don't forget to subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Netflix streams TV shows and movies directly to your home, saving you time, money, and hassle. As a Netflix member, you can instantly watch TV episodes and movies streaming directly to your computer, tablet, mobile device, or gaming console. Get a free 30-day trial membership. Go to netflix.com slash mom and sign up now. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865.
Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.